This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran, giving you eternal answers to challenging questions and providing reasons for faith in Christ. What happens after death? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with apologist, scholar, author, and speaker, Pat Zucharin. And we have resources that relate to this area and many more, answering the toughest questions in life when you go to our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Pat, this is a very important question and one that people ask a lot. Yeah, you know, with the pluralism being very popular, they've got a lot of questions out there. Also with a big retirement community, you know, for some people it's final exam time and they want to really know what happens when I take that final breath, you know, what really happens. And then also with the popularity of Van Prague and John Edwards crossing over, you know, are these guys really talking to the dead? And so a lot of people have questions in this area. And certainly the Christian view of what happens after death has been called into question uh, by the influx of Eastern mysticism and uh, the so-called talking to the dead, because a lot of what these guys do, we're going to talk about this uh, next weekend, but a lot of what these guys do is not uh, does not line up with the biblical testimony about what is proper and what actually goes on after death. Right, and it is a question that every man and woman must answer. They cannot escape this question because 100% of us are going to face death. And what happens after death, whether you're an atheist or uh, a Hindu, whatever, or you have not chosen any worldview in particular, this question is too compelling. It must be answered. It cannot be avoided. Well, it can't, and I don't think that people ought to wait until they're old to ask this question. That's correct. Ask it uh-huh. now. You're not. You could be ten years old and not guaranteed tomorrow. That's right. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, religious pluralism is one of the things that is called into question. Uh, what goes on after death? That the, the Christian interpretation um, may ne- not necessarily be the correct one. In other words, people are asking: Aren't all religions essentially the same? Aren't there many ways or many paths to God? Yeah, you know, and. Coming out of a Buddhist background, uh, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, uh, this was also a sticking point with me because I had to look back at all the generations of my family and people in the clan, uh, uh, my family clan, that is, Mm -hmm. and um, realize that my uncles and my grandparents and aunties and men and women that I knew were great people were in hell and separated f- from Christ. And, and was I, you know, the first one in my family lineage uh, to come to know Christ and uh, that I'd be the only one entering heaven and eternal eternity with God and everyone else is separated from Christ forever? And that was a real tough concept for me to grasp. And even today, uh, I struggle with that, you know, but we've got to be true to what Jesus said, you know, in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And so he made the claim to be the only way to God. You know, there is no other way. That's difficult, isn't it? To, to think that uh, someone that we loved, someone we knew, uh, our ancestors, our family members, are separated from God because uh, they didn't receive Christ. And a little bit later we're going to talk about what about those who have never heard uh, 
is God just in judging those who have never had a chance to hear about Christ? We're going we're gonna to deal with that during this program here. But um, a lot of times, um, I guess there are a couple of things there, Pat. First of all, we don't know what God has done in that person's life and what their eternal state is. We can speculate and we can try to judge uh, by what the Scripture says. But uh, how do you think that we'll deal with that unpleasantness uh, of being separated, of our loved ones being separated from God when we are with Christ in heaven? Yeah, there's a couple views on that. You know, in Revelation uh, 22, it talks about, you know, after uh, the consummation of the age and death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire and dead who are not believers in Christ are thrown into the lake of fire, then, you know, there's a sense where says uh, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and some theologians and and this is a minority view believe that uh, there will be a temporary moment of heartache when we realize uh, what has happened and but God will comfort us at that point and and uh, that's when you know it says he'll wipe away every tear that's a minority view uh, the majority view is that uh, in the face of eternity with a new understanding looking at the perspective uh, from Christ being finally in a state of glorified perfection and a new understanding, we will understand fully why things are the way they are. And from this new perspective, we will understand why it has to be this way. That's brilliant. Uh, it really is. Um, a lot of people think that it's very arrogant to claim that there is only one way. Yeah, you know, and, and an illustration I always hear is this, you know, four blind men come upon an elephant, one grabs the trunk, one grabs the tail, one grabs the leg, and one grabs the ear. And, you know, one guy is saying, well, an elephant is six feet long and flexible and round. And another guy is saying, no, it's like a tree stump. Another one is saying, no, it's flat like a plate. And they're all arguing with each other. But if they could actually see, they would realize they're all talking about the same thing. They're talking about an elephant. And that's what many religious pluralists say is happening with world religions. We're all blind and we're all touching different parts of the elephant, but essentially we're all saying the same thing. Now, that in itself is an arrogant statement because what the pluralist is saying is everyone is blind except him. Yeah, We've all got the wrong perspective and he's got the right perspective. And uh, I was talking to a uh, Jewish man on the plane and he was saying that, you know, all religions, if you look at the very core basic fundamentals of all religions, they're all the same. You know, they all believe in God, they all believe in an afterlife, they all believe in some kind of soul or spirit that survives the death of the body. So essentially, in their essence, they're all the same. And I had to look at him politely and say, well, I, I disagree. Because if you boil the religions down to their very core essence, you'll find they're contradictory. And we're not saying the same thing. We're saying mutually exclusive and contradictory things. And so I gave him an example. I said, for example, the concept of God, right? Uh, atheists say there is no God, right? Hindus or those of the pantheistic world religions say that God is an impersonal force, you know, Brahma, energy made up of all things of the universe. The universe is God and the universe contains God. We're all a part of God. God is this impersonal uh, energy, this force that runs throughout the universe. Uh, Buddhists, you know, Southern Buddhism takes on an atheistic worldview. Northern Buddhism up in China, Japan, Korea takes on a pantheistic worldview. Uh, Muslims say that Allah, 
uh, they're Unitarian monotheists. You know, there's one God, Allah's name. To associate anyone or anything with Allah, you've committed shirk, you know, blasphemy, the unpardonable sin. Now, Christians say, you know, God is personal. And there's one God revealed in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, so, you know, who's correct here? Is God impersonal, you know, an impersonal energy? Or is he a personal being? You know, is he contained in the universe? Or does he rule over the universe? Is there a God? Is there not a God? Does God uh, have a son? Or is that the unpardonable sin of blasphemy? See, we're not all saying the same thing. You know, what about uh, what happens after death? Hindus say that we're in an endless cycle of uh, reincarnation. And depending on our good and bad karma, you know, we evolve into a higher or lower life form until we're finally absorbed into Brahma or the divine. Uh, Muslims teach that men at the judgment day, uh, the books will be opened and they will be judged on their good and bad deeds. And Allah may allow uh, men according to their deeds to Islamic paradise. Uh, well, they'll be entertained by virgins, heavenly maidens, whom they can take many for their wives. Um, atheism teaches once you die, that's it. You know, there's nothing more. Christianity teaches, you know, uh, once there's the death of the, of, of the body, but there's an immaterial essence, the soul, spirit, the mind that continues on. And uh, Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed to each person to die once, and then comes the judgment. And your eternal destiny is determined whether you'll be in heaven with Christ or be eternally separated from him in hell. You know, so which one is it? You know, do we die once and then comes the judgment? Or are we in an endless cycle of reincarnation? Uh, is there a soul and spirit that survives the body? Or do we just go six feet under? I mean, we're not all saying the same thing at our very core, at our very essence. And we cannot all be right at the same time. This is huge. Pe millions of people say this because it makes so much sense to them that all religions basically are saying the same thing. They all lead to the same God, even though. And then we fight all over it. And, and you know, you literally had a chance to share your faith with the man on an airplane next to you. And, right. he, and he said this. And it probably opened his eyes and gave him some food for thought that, oh, you're right. Uh, you know, I, they're not all saying the same thing. Yeah, and that's something we, we like to believe. You know, but uh, if you just because do, it sounds nice yeah. and brotherhoodish, uh -huh. you know, and yeah. unity, yeah, and the whole atmosphere of tolerance and everything. Yeah. But if you just do a little bit of study, just a little bit, at the very core of all religions, you're going to find they contradict each other in fundamental, fundamental ways. Pat, you know, the Baha'i faith has tried to surmount this problem by saying that all religions lead to God, but then Baha'i claims to be the way to get to know this. And uh, if, you're, if you don't hold the Baha'i view, you're wrong. Right. And I was speaking to a Baha'i priest, and I said, well, in Hinduism, you know, God is an impersonal it. He's, he's not a person. He's an it. In Islam, you know, uh, to say that God has a son, you've committed uh, blasphemy, shirk. shirk, the unpardonable sin. You know, in Christianity, we're saying... God has a son. God is also the Holy Spirit and God is the Father. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, they believe that God has manifested himself, you know, through all these different religions. 
you know. And I said, well, you know, in one religion, he's impersonal, but in the next, he is personal. In one religion, uh, he can't have a son. That's blasphemy. In the next religion, he does have a son. You know, I said, well, is God schizophrenic here? Can he make up his mind? Is he personal, impersonal? And uh, then he really got confused, and he didn't know how to answer me, you know. And I just said, you just do some basic studying. You're going to realize if you're saying they're all teaching the same thing, then God is a schizophrenic kind of being. We're going to talk about what about those who have never heard the gospel? Is God just in judging those who have never had a chance to hear about Christ? We're going to deal with that. What about children who die before they can understand the gospel or maybe even fetuses that are aborted? We're going to deal with that in just a moment. If we say that Jesus is the only way, we're saying that because Jesus claimed that in John 14, 6. He claimed to be the only way to God. I guess the question at that point is, how do we know that Jesus' claim is true? Jesus' claim is true, and he's the only one who confirmed his claim through his life, death, and resurrection. You know, he's the only one through his life uh, fulfilled numerous prophecies showing his uh, eternal nature through his sinless life, showed mastery over sin. No man on the earth can claim to have not sinned. You know, even Muhammad in the Quran, he's told, confess thy sins and seek forgiveness. Yet Christ, you know, uh, his followers and even his enemies could not point out any sin in his life. Also, the miracles he performed. No other man in the history of mankind has been able to show mastery over every realm of creation as Christ has. And finally, the resurrection of Christ showing that he has mastery and rulership over sin and death. And he's the only one to have conquered sin and death. No other, e even mythical hero, has been able to do that. And we know that uh, these events are true. They're historical facts. And so the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, uh, we know, confirm his claims to be the only way to eternal life. I want to encourage everyone to get the tape on Is the Bible True from probe.org and uh, so that you can show that we have on record what Jesus said and did, and it has been preserved through time. Through the, uh, the science of textual criticism, we can determine that, and there's a great program that we did, uh, Pat, on that a while back. So go to probe.org and, and get that program. Now, if we say that Christianity is true, uh, do we mean by that that all other religions are totally false? Yeah, no. You know, there are some truths in other religions. You know, for example, Confucius has what's called the silver rule. Do not do unto others what you do not want them to do to you. You know, so you'll find that a lot of the ethical systems are similar. And the reason is we're all created in the image of God and we all have the same moral conscience implanted within us. So our ethical systems you may find to be very similar. But what we're saying is there is no saving truth. No one can come to a personal relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. That's a very important point in that many religions may recognize truth because all truth is God's truth. That's right. And so God has given us the ability to recognize that. So when Confucius said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, he is recognizing this truth. Jesus reaffirmed that principle, which was apparently already known, and C.S. Lewis said something, Pat, that uh, I think goes right along with what you're saying, and that is that the great moral teachers of all time did not come up with new morality. We call those people quacks. Mm -hmm. 
the great moral teachers, and Jesus, in a sense, was one of those. He was more, but uh, in a sense, he was that. Uh, come about to uh, reestablish or call people to the morality that they already know. Right. That, that is, is already correct. there. Right. You know. That's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a, a religion that says something true about God's universe is just recognizing God's truth. But we're talking about the ability to be reconciled with God. And Jesus made exclusive claims to be able to do that. Right. You know, and even the apostles even repeated uh, that exclusive claim in Acts 4.12, uh, where Peter said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. And so even the apostles repeated that claim. So Christianity, you know, makes the exclusive claim that there's only one way to God. Pat, people say, I'm excluding you because you're being too exclusive. <laughs> That's a contradiction. <laughs> so they exclude, yeah, they contradict themselves. I'm, I'm going to exclude you because you are being exclusive. Uh, Christians who say Jesus is the only way, we're not the ones who said it. Jesus said it. We're pointing people to his claims. Right, right. You want to... Argue, you're really going to have to argue with Jesus Christ, you know, and very few people want to. Now, what about those who have never heard the gospel? Because that sounds like, uh, you know, these exclusive claims seem to uh, irritate that, seem to run up against that and say, okay, what about those who have never heard the gospel? How's God going to judge them? Yeah, that's probably the biggest question I am asked. And, um, you know, the whole question is that of God's justice. You know, have all men been exposed to the truth and can God hold men accountable to the truth? And if they had not heard the gospel, is God just in judging them? And, you know, Paul answers that in Romans chapter 1. He says in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So it's not they don't know the truth, it's they suppress the truth. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Well, how has God made it plain to them? What well, says here? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that all men are without excuse. So the first witness all men and women have is the witness of creation. Creation every day is pointing them to the Creator. So that's the first witness that all men have. Secondly, they have the witness we just spoke about earlier of the conscience, that divine moral law in their hearts. says in chapter 2, verse 15, Since they, uh, the Gentiles without the law, show that they have the requirements of the law written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. So we all have a moral conscience of what is right and what is wrong, but also that there is a divine moral lawgiver of whom we're accountable to. I've heard this called general revelation. Right. General revelation is uh, God has shown himself in nature, and God has revealed himself to the human heart. We just kind of have an innate, intrinsic knowledge of him. Right. And when men acknowledge the witness of general revelation, when they look at the sky or creation and say, yes, I believe in a God, I want to know this God, or... Uh, the witness that's in their hearts, and they say, I just know it's right. I want to know this God. When men acknowledge general revelation, then God is responsible to bring them special revelation, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to them. And uh, he can do so, he does mostly through Christians, you know, missionaries in the body of Christ. But also, he, he, you know, 
he could do it through a miraculous means if, if he chose to. But when men acknowledge general revelation, uh, God brings special revelation to them. And so all men have had the opportunity to respond uh, to the truth. Each man and woman has had some light shed upon their lives. And if they choose to walk away from the light, even the little light that they see, uh, then uh, they have rejected uh, the revelation of truth that has been given to them. But if they turn towards the light and start walking towards the light, then the light continues to get greater and uh, God will bring them special revelation. Pat, that is just brilliant. And, you know, I'm just taking notes on what you're saying here. So so God has revealed himself through via general revelation, nature and the conscience, and he's revealed himself in special revelation, Jesus Christ and uh, the Bible and so forth. The sad testimony is that if a person turns from general revelation, they're not going to get special revelation. Right. Uh, and, and, and people often do. They, they turn away even from general revelation. Right. Uh, and as Paul says in Romans 18, that truth, they suppress the truth in their wickedness. And, you know, throughout the New Testament, we see that those who acknowledge general revelation, God brought special revelation to them. In Acts chapter 8, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, well, Philip is in Jerusalem and he gets raptured and uh, he just lands in the desert and there's an Ethiopian eunuch riding up in his chariot and Peter runs up to the chariot, uh, Philip runs up to the chariot and, says, and sees the man reading the book of Isaiah. And he says, do you know, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And Philip explains it to him and boom, the man accepts Christ and is baptized or in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, a God-fearing Gentile, a Roman commander, uh, acknowledges general revelation. And then uh, God speaks to him in a dream, says, go get this guy Peter in this city, in this uh, uh, house. Wow. And he sends emissaries to Peter, and they bring him, and they meet. And God responded to the right. Ethiopian eunuch, and God responded to Cornelius. Right. And even today, you see that... Uh, Tribal peoples or peoples, uh, you know, who do who acknowledge general revelation, God brings special revelation to them. In fact, uh, it's documented very well in an award-winning book by Don Richardson called "Eternity in Their Hearts." That in all cultures, uh, anthropologists have studied, there is a knowledge uh, of a heavenly Father, and. Um, that those who really seek him, God brings the message of eternal life to them. Pat, before we wrap up the show, talk about uh, children who die before they can understand the gospel or maybe the child in the womb who is aborted before having an opportunity to know of Christ. Yeah, uh, that's a real tough one. You know, in um, the Bible, there appears to be this principle, the age of accountability. Now, what exactly that age is, we don't know. But, for example, in Numbers 14 and 15, the children of Israel rebel against God at Kadesh Barnea. God says, go take the promised land. They choose not to and rebel. And so God says, all right, you will, after seeing all my miracles in Egypt, you will not enter into the promised land except those under the age of 20. You know, um, and so, you know, we don't know what that age of accountability is, but there appears to be this principle there that uh, if children do not reach this age of accountability, God uh, allows them by His grace into eternal life. And we find that in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, 
David, when his child died, he says, uh, can I bring him back? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So David, speaking under inspiration, said that uh, his baby who had died uh, is waiting for him in paradise. We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. There's a new feature on our website called iShows, where you can download each individual show for just $2.50. On our website, evidenceandanswers.org, just like you download a song on iTunes, these are iShows that you can download each individual show you want, and we've got some of the top scholars on there. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidenceandanswers.org.